20. I'm not going to read the uh, verses because the first 30 verses are going to be uh, the, the ministry for us this morning. We don't have time to read it, but if you want to keep your Bible open, I'll make references to the verses as we go through. The first week of Raise the Praise, we talked about the call to praise. And we reminded ourselves that, that God's passion for his church on earth is one where people would praise the, the Lord and praise the Lord to such a degree, such an extent, to so be in line with his purpose and plan that it would capture the attention of heaven. And uh, as Christian read those verses from Genesis this morning about the awesome place, the place where God dwells, that's where God wants to come. The Bible says in Psalm 22 that he inhabits the praises of his people. And a praising community capture the attention of God. It brings a collision between earth and heaven, touching heaven and changing earth. And our earth, our part of the earth where we come together to worship here as a community of believers representing this area where we live, where God has places in this time, needs to be kissed by heaven in a greater way than we've ever known before. And one of the, one of the things that will cause that to increasingly take place is a people that understands that God's building a house. And I'm increasingly impassioned, friends, just in these opening weeks of the new year, to realize and understand that we must not be diverted from anything that stops us from God building the house. It's a house that's inhabited by his spirit. It's a house that's not contained by color of skin, ethnic divide, culture, country or nation. But it's a house all across this world that God is indwelling by his spirit and inevitably draws praise from its people. Christian led us last week from Isaiah chapter 12 to remind us not only about the call to praise, but also the song of praise, showing us how good God had been to us and how that draws a response of song and joy from our hearts. And in the time that we've got available this morning, just building upon this amazing atmosphere of praise that we've already enjoyed as we've reached out to our God. I want us to speak, uh, want to speak this morning for just a, a moment or two about the weapon of praise. The weapon of praise. And we're going to use 2 Chronicles 20 and King Jehoshaphat and the people of God going to uh, face an enemy uh, uh, tribes, enemy tribes to illustrate the story. The Bible says, friends, that all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture. I've come across Christians saying we don't need the Old Testament anymore. We do. We need to understand, friends, that the Old Testament was forever pointing ahead to a new and living way. Shadows and types. The way that we understand the Old Testament is to understand what comes through the cross. For instance, this morning, there's not a priest at the front of this church dressed in fine regalia, slaying animals on a table for your sins. Because the great high priest, Jesus Christ, has done it once and for all. And that doesn't go through the cross. And there's lots of stuff in the Old Testament, friends, that doesn't go through the cross because Jesus has bought a better way. But the types, the stories, the incidents, all speak to us about being in passion for our God today. Romans 15 and 4 says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance, endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope and I use the phrase story over this chapter uh, a little, with some hesitation because when you hear me say story you might think 
It's a story. In other words, it's, it's made up. It's not true. It's Aesop's fables. It's some nursery. No, friends, this is a real situation that took place in the history of the people of God that speaks all these thousands of years later right into our church this morning. Jehoshaphat was a good king. It'd be nice if it had been called John, wouldn't it? But we're going to have to run with this. Jehoshaphat was a good king. And uh, he was confronted with a battle of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Menuites. And verse 1 tells us that they came to make war. They came to make war. Now, here's what happens when you become a Christian. When you become a Christian, you are born into the family of God. You must be born again. Some people describe a born-again Christian as, oh, there's another one. There's no other type than a born-again one. You can't get into the family of God unless you are born into it. Number two, we belong to a body. And one of the things that really blesses people, and I love to look on, is the fact that once they become a Christian, they realize they've found lots of new friends that will weep with them when they weep and rejoice with them when they rejoice. We'll stand with them, we'll lift them up, we'll encourage them on. Born into a family, belonging to a body, but here's the third one that perhaps we're not so keen on. We are called also to battle as an army. And the Bible says to us that we are to be defensively strong. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 18 says that we're to wear the whole armour of God. And Paul writing to the church at Ephesus took an illustration of a Roman soldier that the people would be able to identify with and reminded us that from head to foot, we need to ensure that we are defensively strong. Now, right on the doorstep of my life, even this week, and I'm careful what I say because this thing via the internet can rebound into all sorts of places. I understand that I'm encouraging somebody, even this week, to lift the shield of faith. You see, the enemy, friends loves to say things over us that God's not saying over us. And he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And the enemy uses all sorts of surprise attacks at times. Ephesians calls it the fiery darts of the wicked one or the flaming arrows of the wicked one that will seek to penetrate your heart and reduce you and belittle you to be less than what God's ordained you to be. And you need to lift the shield of faith. I've got to say, friends, that I wish as an ongoing Christian, as a minister, as a leader, that somehow that diluted. It seems to me sometimes it gets more intense. And every time you want to make a step forward in God, the enemy will sometimes seek to arise and seek to stop you. Remember Nehemiah, don't stop me now. Every time. Every time. And just this past week, I've just had to nudge somebody through that whole situation. And encourage them not to take on board stuff that God's not saying. You need to be defensively strong. But God's also called us, friends, to be offensively potent. Or should I say my mid-Atlantic accent, offensively potent. And uh, in other words, we've got to have good defense, but we've got to get great offense as well. We've got to move forward in God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 to 5, the Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. They're not carnal. They're not tanks and guns, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, whereby we take every thought captive. And God has given weaponry to the church that has so often been left dormant, and then we wonder why we don't make progress. We're born into a family, we belong to a body, but we're called to battle as an army. And the reality, of course, of this is that we can run to extremes, 
We can get overly absorbed in, it's dark out there, and we're not going to deny that this morning in the message. But the other side of it is that we can completely live in denial of a spiritual enemy. There are even people today, friends, that we would call men of the cloth, that would deny a spiritual enemy. They say, oh, it's just hocus pocus, it's just imagination. If only. If only. If only the kingdom of darkness wasn't real. And C.S. Lewis says that we need to avoid being the materialist or the magician because the enemy loves both extremes. There's a battle on friends. It's sometimes a battle in our minds. There's a battle on over the territory of this town and this area. There's a battle on friends over Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire and Leicestershire and Lincolnshire. There's a battle over the great cities of our nation, London and Manchester and Birmingham and Leeds and Newcastle. And so we could go on. If you don't believe there's a battle over our nation at the moment, you need to open your eyes. There is a spiritual battle on. And friends, we could go into all sorts of issues regarding that this morning. But I simply want to drive it down to the fact that there is an unseen conflict taking place in the heavenlies that can't be defined merely by intellectualism or fancy argument that is taking place between dark and light. And this morning in Arena Church, we are a representation on earth of the kingdom of light. And the Bible says that the enemy is defeated. The Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But we have to move out in faith, friends, to make the reality of that victory potent within our experience in these days. And it's imperative and effective that this, and, and necessary that this works out so that we might see God move in a new way for his praise and glory. Now, there are many weapons. I'm not even going to mention any others this morning so we don't get sidetracked. But the context of our ministry, both at the moment and within this morning, is that one of the great spiritual weapons that God has entrusted to the church is the power of praise. The power and the weapon of praise. I want to just pick out five banner headlines from this story this morning as we move through it. I'll refer to one or two of the verses and hopefully God will just bless you and encourage you. Number one, the opposition. We've already referred to this confederacy of enemy tribes uh, that were there, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Menuhites, that came to make war upon Jehoshaphat and the people of God. The Bible describes them in verse 2 as a vast army. Now again, without opening it up this morning, friends, but the symbolism of these tribes represented such things as gross immorality, satanic and demonic involvement, bondage and idolatry. See, the works of darkness are always operating in similar ways. And in verse 3, it says that when the people heard and saw what was taking place, they were alarmed. The Message Bible, and I'll make one or two references from Peterson's uh, 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 take on this uh, story this morning says that they were shaken they were shaken let me say that even as the people of God at times living right loving Jesus with a passion attending the house of God regularly giving to the work of God praying and receiving his word seeking to share the faith living out the word of God finding your shape in terms of serving in the body of Christ even in all of that at times it can seem as though a vast army is arrayed against us to the extent that it causes us to be shaken God what is taking place 
I want you to notice, secondly, the response. The response. In verse 3, Jehoshaphat inquired of the Lord. In other words, he prayed. And he goes on to say that not only did he pray, but also he proclaimed a fast for all of Jerusalem, and uh, for all of the Jews, sorry. And you've heard Christians' encouragement this morning with regard to prayer and fasting. And uh, we just want to encourage people in that. And these people turn to God. Two aspects of fasting. At times it can be private. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that if you're fasting and you're doing it privately, that when you come away from the room of prayer and fasting, wash your face, put a smile on. Because if you go outside and somebody says, what's up with you, Andy? Oh, well, I'm fasting. Is that his reward? Finished. Now I feel great, you know. But privately, he's seeking God over an issue. But not only the private aspect of fasting, there are times in the scriptures where leadership caught a public fast. Where people gathered together, there was an awareness, it was taking a place like Monday to Friday of this week in arena, and people sought after God. I want you to notice also there was an amazing spirit of togetherness with the people. And uh, it says in verse 4 that the people came together. It says in verse 13 that the men, the wives, the children, the little ones stood there before the Lord. Sounds to me like that uh, picture of the Acts of the Apostles and that old-fashioned phrase that they were of one accord. They prayed, they fasted, they had amazing unity as they sought after God. And then they began to reach out to him and believe God to do amazing things. And Jehoshaphat prayed. Jehoshaphat prayed. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been around Christian life long enough to have sat in some prayer meetings. And I want to really say thanks. Thank God they don't take place here. Where people have prayed 15 minutes of devil-exalting prayer, by the end of it, you've wondered what God we were serving. Because they've just ramped him up. He's this, he's that, or the other. But great praying always focuses upon God's. And here... Jehoshaphat prayed to the Lord. In verses 6 to 8, he declared who the Lord was. He says, you rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. He declared the confidence that he would be hurt. And the Bible says in 1 John, uh, uh, the, the epistle of John, that we also have this confidence that if we pray according to his will, he hears us and he declared a cry for help verses 10 to 12 he says God these people are coming to seek to destroy us but Lord will you deal with them because our eyes are toward you turn your eyes upon him and look full in his wonderful face our eyes are upon you number three what was the effect of all this well there was a gathering momentum Because the vast army was arrayed against the people, the people prayed, they fasted, they had an expression of unity, they cried upon the Lord. And the effect of that was in verses 13 to 19, that there was a release of the prophetic word. I feel this morning that I could so often go off at tangents and begin to speak about the prophetic word. I won't. Suffice to say that this church believes in the power of the prophetic word. That doesn't mean that we're opening ourselves up to weirdness, Or anybody saying whatever they want at any time without any submission to anybody, it's not going to happen. But we believe in the release of the word of God amongst us. And we need it more. And there are Christians around that believe that the Holy Spirit came into being in Acts chapter 2 when he baptized the church in the Holy Spirit and launched them out in an amazing ministry. No friends, he's God. 
He's not 2,000 years old. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's the eternal one. He was there in creation. He's the spirit of God. He's always been. And he always will be. And what happened in the Old Testament is that God limited the power of the spirit for all sorts of reasons. But on occasions, there was a release of the work of the Spirit for a specific purpose. And so here, in response to the prayers of the people, Jehaziel has a specific, directive, prophetic word that comes upon him. And you know that prophecy is not only foretelling, but it's forthtelling. It's not necessarily predictive and directive, but in this instance, it was. And he said five, four, five things. He says, number one, do not fear. Do not fear. Verse 15. He also says that the battle is God's. He then said, even though the battle is God's, you're going to have to go and face them. Verse 16. As we'll see, that was an expression of faith. Verse 17. You won't have to fight because God will be with you. And a reminder to the people again, not to be afraid or to be discouraged. Go to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. What an amazing word. What was the response of the people? Well, a spirit of praise and worship gripped the people's hearts. And Peterson says in the message, they stood to their feet to praise God and they praised him at the top of their lungs. I sense that there's a few people in Arena Church that have done just that this morning. You praised him to the top of your lungs. God is with us. They began to respond by declaring the greatness of God in a new way. Number four, the strategy. Verses 20 to 22. The great responses of of prayer and of a prophetic word released the key to victory in this instance. And the battle strategy of the king was implemented the following morning. Notice what it says, verse 20. Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and says, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes. Imagine the natural nervousness of the following morning. You've been in church today. You've had a tremendous time. You felt encouraged. You praised God. God's word comes to you. You've had a great conversation with somebody. But it's tomorrow morning. There's that meeting with the boss. There's that difficult situation you've got to confront. There's that uncertainty about your particular situation at the moment. And friends, the encouragement today is that God wants you to face tomorrow. And he wants you to face tomorrow with a spirit of praise in your heart that is inspired by today. In other words, what they received one day did not change the following day. They'd heard from God. They'd responded to the Lord. They felt what God was saying. And they said, we're going to confront this in cooperation with what God has spoken to us. It says, again, 
in another translation that Jehoshaphat appointed a choir dressed in holy robes. They are, all the Anglicans have been cheered up there. They appointed a choir dressed in holy robes and they march ahead to the, they, they march ahead of the troops singing. So the choir went in front of the fighting force. Give thanks to God. His love never quits or his love endures forever. And the pivotal verse of these, this whole chapter, friends, rests on verse 22. This is the tipping point. As they began to sing, and praise the Lord. Yeah, but I wonder if God would do it before I began to sing. No, no. As they began to sing and praise the Lord. It may have seemed stupid. I mean, whoever's put a choir in front of the fighting army. It may have gone against the grain. It may have been open to ridicule. But it was God's purpose. And friends, we have to go through all of those things on a regular basis. But if we'll do it God's way, we'll get God's results. If we'll respond to what God's saying in our lives, we'll know a release of God in our situation that has been, will be mind-boggling in terms of its impact and blessing. And maybe this morning you're saying, well, it's okay for you, Phil, you're the preacher. But I've come into the meeting, and even 25 minutes into your message, the last thing I want to do is praise the Lord. I'm not looking at anybody. You may feel this morning that God doesn't even deserve your praise because of the situation that you find yourself in. And it may be that it goes against everything within your flesh to come to a place saying, God, I'm going to praise you. But you see, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not you coming up with a clever idea to sort it out. It's the breakthrough of God, friends, that brings about a change of situation as people begin to sing and praise to their Lord. Verses 23 to 24, you'll read that God orchestrated military confusion. The opposing tribes turned against themselves and killed each other with friendly fire. You can find it. So that when the uh, army of God, God's people looked on, everybody had been killed and defeated. And the people, as God had said, hadn't had to lift a finger. But they had had to march out that morning and face the army. It's a step of faith. But as the step of faith is a sound of praise expressed in impassioned, obedient believers, it will capture the attention of heaven and victory will be assured. You see, friends, the point is this. They didn't praise for victory. The the point is this, that they praised for victory and not from it. With the greatest respect, we can all do that. We've all read the last page of the revival. Thought it'd be great if God did that in our church. Hundreds getting... But some of us aren't quite so keen to negotiate the chapters that brought something to a place of revival. Friends, we can all jump on the coattails of the victory. But God's causing a mature group of people to rise up in Arena Church to say, even when there seems a vast army against us, even when things are opposed, even when the circumstances are difficult, even when I don't feel like doing it, even when my flesh is railing against praising God, I'm going to praise for the victory and see God break through in an amazing way in my life. And the challenge is this, friends. 
that sometimes as you look at the way ahead, you may feel nervous. You may feel naturally afraid. And we're not afraid to use that language in our church because we are not triumphalist in all this. We are realists in terms of ordinary men and women in their real world this week. It may seem that the enemy is vast. It may seem that the situation is overpowering. It may seem that there are limiting issues upon your life at the moment that stop you praising God, but you're going to praise the Lord anyway. Because it's the intention of the Lord. Fifthly, friends, what was the result? Well, verses 24 to 30 tell us, and it was fivefold. Number one, as I've already alluded to, there was an amazing victory. Verse 24, when Judah came to the place that overlooked the desert, they looked towards the vast army, and all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. And God's given us the victory. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And we need to believe for it. Number two, there was supply. Verse 25, the plunder was so great that it took the people three days to gather it all up. Now, believing, friends, Christians believing, this man's got so many things in his heart going forward to continue to love and serve our community. If you think he's content with food bank, you want to sit with him in meetings. And I, I love his holy frustration. The reality is, friends, that for us to press forward as a community of believers to impact where we live and beyond, locally, regionally, cross-culturally, into the ends of the earth, we need more resource. We need more resource. And we've got to believe, friends, that God supernaturally is going to release plunder to us. It's going to come from unlikely sources. Wouldn't it be fantastic this week if, in a metaphorical sense, somebody gave us a check that took us three days to collect it all up? You know what I'm saying? Or somebody rang us up and says, you know, we've got so much food. Well, those supermarket chains, God will bless you if you do it. And uh, we've got so much food, and we've heard about Arena Church, and it's going to take them three days to bring it all down to us. And it'll set us up for weeks. Rather Rather than our amazing food bank team wondering where they're going to get it from for the next time people come. An amazing plunder. An amazing supernatural supply that comes out of the praises of God's people. And then thirdly, there was joy. He says in verse 27 that they rejoiced. He says again in the message that Jehoshaphat led the people back to Jerusalem, an exuberant parade. And they entered the temple, and all the instruments of the band were playing. Now, it's drove me nuts over the years when people have wanted to redefine joy in the Christian church. And somehow, I don't know how they've managed it, but they've made joy miserable. They have made it so deep, so impenetrable, so unseeable, that they've said, come to our church and be joyful. Joy is joy. Joy is expressive. Joy is exuberant. I understand that it's, more, it's, not as, it's, it's deeper in the sense of it not being determined by happenings. I understand that. I understand that. But friends, don't hide away your joy. 
Because these people march back to the temple full of the joy of God and the band couldn't stop playing. Verse 28, fifthly, there was respect. Respect. Young people, respect. Respect. Interestingly, in the persecution of the Acts of the Apostles, it says also that they had great favour from those that looked on. And I want to say, friends, with all humility this morning, that there are people out there in the authorities, in business, people that look on and come through this church, they may not want to be godly, they may not agree with what we're doing, they may not believe what we believe, but they'll come to a place of saying, respect Arena Church, because God's amongst you. God's doing something amongst this ordinary group of people that's impossible apart from him doing it. And it says there in those verses, in verse 28, 29, that the fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Finally, there was blessing. Remember, we started by saying that they were confronted with a vast army that were breathing threatenings and slaughters and the people were shaken. But here we find that the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side the enemy friends is allergic to praise he hates it that's why he has used every religious tool possible over the history of the church to try and dilute it but there's a sound arriving from earth when folks are getting it it's capturing the radar of heaven and people understand friends that God has laid something even within us that needs to come out by the confession of our mouth that declares the greatness of our God. And when earth captures the attention of heaven, then amazing things take place. Friends, tomorrow morning is coming. Those difficult situations that you have to navigate through at work, with your family, and in the context that you find life are all there. We don't deny that. We live them with, with them ourselves. But God is for us. And even though sometimes it seems as though a vast army is arrayed against us, he's defeated as they began to praise the Lord. Let's believe God, friends, by using the weapon of praise for increasing victory in these days. Amazing overwhelming abundant supply exuberant joy respect from those that look on and the blessing of peace to be our portion why don't you stand with me please thank you